0: Uh, is that too loud for anybody back there okay seems loud to me <laughs> okay we're back to matthew and the sermon on the mountain we should hopefully get finished with uh chapter six and seven this spring they're they're uh, a little shorter than chapter five at least individually next week uh Orlando will be here to to continue on, and then we'll just rotate back and forth. He doesn't know exactly what his schedule is going to be yet. So anyway, we'll be we'll be trading places at some point and then some Sundays. And uh, we'll ha- I should have a calendar for that by next week. But anyway, today we're looking at uh, chapter six, the beginning of kind of the beginning of the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we look at this, we're remembering really where we've come from because it's always important to to see things in context, and especially we need to be reminded. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded over and over about the gospel. You know, that's really one of the great purposes and benefits of the church is when we come together, we hear the gospel and, and all that it means, all that it entails, what it has for us. And so as we look at this, we back up a little bit and and we consider the, the fact that Jesus spoke this sermon primarily to those who had decided to follow him to his disciples and he gives a character description of them and the beatitudes so all of those blessings are describing the nature of these people that have given their lives over to follow after jesus and so th- then the balance of this sermon after jesus says that he came not to you know to annihilate the law of the prophets but to fulfill them he begins to show what that means and p- particularly in chapter 5 we saw that he interprets the law according to what it really means even in the days of Moses and how that had been distorted by the sadducées the pharisees and the scribes who had made it a heavy burden and made it something external to the people rather than something that was near them in their heart and in their mouth as they would confess that by faith and so he he gives the the real meaning the real intent he fulfills The law and the prophets. And so we can kind of trace this through as he goes from the the character of the followers that are citizens of the kingdom of heaven uh, through their conduct and some case studies that he uses in chapter five that that are all kind of familiar to each one of us and, and how the principles of life and the Spirit work out and the law is fulfilled in uh, those circumstances so we don't have a we don't have this uh, tremendous volume of material that tells us what to do about each thing in life because we have something better than that we have the spirit of god and the word of god which is living and active that that can be applied in each and every situation that we encounter in life and so he uses these case studies to kind of show us how the word of god the scripture the law and the prophets would be applied by the spirit through the lives of the believers so when we come to chapter six he begins to speak in in, the some really profound and, and really disturbing ways. You know, if you read the Sermon on the Mount and you're honest, you've got to say, this is just, this is way beyond me. This is way beyond anything that I can do or begin to do. And even though the Pharisees and the scribes had dumbed it down and said, you can do it, and this is how you do it, Jesus said, you can't do it. You're spiritually poor. You know, you've got to mourn. You've got to hunger and thirst. You can't do this. If this could be done by human beings, then there was no need for God to become incarnate. But it couldn't be done. The race had given up. You know, the race had crashed. And so the new Adam comes and Jesus fulfills all of this and then gives to us the ability, I guess you could say, to fulfill all the law's demands by trusting in Christ Jesus' fulfillment for us. Nevertheless, uh, we're mounted on this learning curve, and we're called to live out what Jesus instructs us with here. And so as we read this, I'm just going to primarily focus on uh, one aspect of these first four verses, but we'll use this as an example, too, for the the rest of the chapter. So chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now that's something to be aware of, isn't it? I know we never do that, but but we have to be aware of it. You know, we, we <clears throat> you ever try to look good for the benefit of other people? I mean, you shouldn't try to look bad. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I remember I talked to my dad one time. And he was this was twenty thirty years ago, and we were talking about uh, teaching because my dad's always been a Bible teacher, and, and I was and I was a preacher and a teacher. You know, and so <clears throat> he said sometimes he said I just really I really feel. Like I'm trying to look good before people. I said, well, we don't want to look bad, do we? You know? We don't want to look bad, it's, but it's all in the motivation. It, we're not practicing. We're not to practice our righteousness for the benefit of other people. Man, that's hard because that's our default position, isn't it? That is our default position in life since Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden is to perform for other people, to perform to be seen. To want other people to like us, and so we—if you read about read about uh, people that are in the news, like say, let's take Tom Brady for example, the goat, the greatest of all time. Well, I can—I I think it's debatable, but but here he is—he's he's proclaimed by all these analysts in sports, he's the greatest football player that's ever lived. I really don't like the guy myself, but but that he's the goat. Don't tell Paul works that. I know he's a big name. But he's, he's the goat. Well, when you read about what drives him, it is to be the goat. He wants to be known as the best ever. And so he does all kinds of strange physical things with his diet, with, with the way that they treat him between games, between practices and everything. He wants to be the best ever. He, and he never feels like he's quite good enough. Where does that come from? That's sin, isn't it? It comes from sin that we never feel like we measure up. And so we want to perform. And the the Pharisees were all about looking and acting good, weren't they? Looking and acting good. Making their phylacteries long. Making their fringes just so-so, you know, combing them out. But they wanted to be seen and known as the penultimate in terms of religious practice and being good people. But Jesus is just turning that upside down. He said, it's not about looking and acting good. It's about really being good. That's a whole different kettle of fish, isn't it? Being good. Now, I don't know about you, but lots of times I'm caught wanting to look good. Man, that's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. I'm trying to look good today, I put on a tie. <laughs> All buttoned up, see that? I think you're supposed to button up when you stand up, aren't you? And then When you sit down you unbutton. I don't know. I was telling uh, Andy this morning, I I always pastored in rural churches where there were farmers, ranchers, oil guys, you know, contractors. And so if I wore a tie on Sunday morning, typically I was the only one in the congregation wearing the tie. So I got to where I just, I wore a shirt and slacks. So when I put on a tie, it's special. Maybe not to you. (laughs) But at any rate, you know, we, we really want to look good, and, and there's nothing wrong in desiring to look good, but the motivation has to be right. Why do we want to look good? Why do we want to perform well? It's got to be right. It can't be so we're esteemed. If, if it is, we're just a Pharisee. If it's if so, we'll be esteemed so that people will think highly of us. We, we miss the mark. That's way off. That's not even on the target, you know. It's not, it's not only it's not the bullseye, it's, it's off the target. And so Jesus says that we're to beware of practicing our righteousness in order to be seen by other people. For then you will have no reward for your Father who is in heaven. That would be a terrible position to be in, wouldn't it? To have no reward from God. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That sounds like you've got a stroke or something, doesn't it? <laughs> so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we know that Jesus doesn't intend for us not to be seen by other people, because he said, let your good works be seen by others. Why? So they will put a brass plaque in the foyer for you. No. <laughs> So they will praise your heavenly Father, right? So Jesus expects us to be seen. He's not saying, He's not saying, uh, you know, don't ever let anybody know anything that you do. do. You know, always be behind the scenes, you know. Never just don't let any of that stuff, you know, stick to you. Well, in one sense, it doesn't, it's not ever to stick to us, but we're going to be seen. You know, just think of if, if we were to pray in private always, we couldn't have any, the pastor couldn't lead us in prayer, could he? I couldn't pray up here. We'd all have to pray alone. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you do these things, make sure that the motivation, so this is really, the kingdom of God is all about motivation. It's all about glory to God. It's all about Christ Jesus who glorified the Father fully, didn't choose anything of his own to do, only said what he heard his Father saying, only did what his Father told him to do. And in everything, as he prays in John chapter 17, and that's interesting that he has his prayer recorded, but he has this prayer, and he says, Father, I've done the work that you've given me. I have glorified your name. Now glorify me with you. So Jesus was all about glorifying the Father. And when the Father's glorified, people are benefited. Paul says this in to the Corinthians, he says, you know, listen, he says, when you guys give, God's gonna be glorified and the saints are gonna be having their needs met. And so when God's glorified, people are benefited. But when people are glorified, the person that got glorified's benefited, maybe. But that's all he gets. How would you like that? You know, he wouldn't have a reward from the Father. So Jesus takes this this idea <clears throat> and he weaves it through uh, really four different things, but three for sure. He says he says there in verse 4, that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then down in verse 8, about, uh, I think it's verse 8, excuse me, verse 6, speaking about prayer, he says, but when you go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then in verse uh, 16, I believe it is, no, nope, it's verse 18, your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So God's looking on our heart. He's always looking on our heart. And we, and we live in the presence of God, don't we? We live in the presence of God. He sees everything that we do. He knows everything that we do. That, that'd be a good practice if we, would, if we could be mindful of that all the time, wouldn't it? If we could be mindful constantly that what we think, God sees. He evaluates. That what we speak, God knows, and He records. what we do, God takes account of. And he responds to that. And so Jesus says, listen, your father watches in secret. He knows why you do what you do. This is kind of disconcerting, isn't it? I mean, is that kind of disconcerting to you? I'll I'll tell you an example. For me, I drive this bus, you know, three days a week. And I take these... People. I'm, I'm working I just saw a big article this morning in USA today about end-of-life issues and how difficult it is, you know, to grapple with those things, as, as the children of, of parents who are, are aging and passing away, and about those parents themselves who are losing faculties and abilities that they once had and, and all of that. <clears throat> and so those are the kind of people I'm dealing with, a lot of times driving the bus. They drive me nuts. Sometimes they just drive me nuts. I mean, I'm driven nuts pretty easily, but but that, it, just, it just really gets to me. And sometimes I'm, I'm just thinking about, in, in the inside, I'm just railing at them. But outwardly, I'm trying to be kind and gentle and patient. You know? That really bothers me. That what wells up out of me oftentimes is really contrary to what Jesus is saying you know I control it I kind of keep it stuffed and the flesh and the spirit lust against one another so that you won't do what you desire that's what Paul says wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ because this is going to kill me if he doesn't deliver me right so Jesus says that the father is always watching us Wow. But the good news is Jesus has completed everything that the Father demands of us, and He demands our devotion, our undivided attention and affection and desire. He demands that. You and I are on a learning curve. We're learning how to give that. But has anybody here arrived yet? You know, I mean, no, we haven't. We haven't arrived. We haven't gotten there yet. But because Jesus has completed the law and the prophets, we have been seated in the heavenly places in Him, clothed in His righteousness, clothed in His goodness in His holiness. And yet the Word of God continues to examine us, doesn't it? So we read this. If this doesn't disturb us, we ought to check our understanding of grace and law and the lordship of Christ, shouldn't we? Because this this is demanding what He's saying. It's not just doing good. It's why did you do that good? So people will think, well, what a fine man. That was upstanding. Now, <clears throat> I remember a church I pastored one time. They had a, a piano and it had a big brass plaque on it that had been donated by somebody's family a long time before I ever got there. <clears throat> and during my tenure in that pastorate, they really didn't like what was going on. This family didn't attend there any longer. But they heard it through the grapevine. And so they came and they said, we want our piano back. I said, well, my first thought was, what a gift. <laughs> but they wanted that person to seem generous and gracious and to honor that person. Hey, you know, you get the drift, you know, you want to be... But we're really not that way sometimes. But we go ahead and act that way. And, and really, my, the pastor ordained me said, you know, we're just a bunch of put-ons. Put off the old, put on the new. Because that's what Paul says, isn't it? So we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. But some of those, some of those deeds, some of those attitudes, man, they die a long death, don't they? I heard a guy say one time, a preacher that, that I really respected who'd been a minister for many, many years... And in the middle of his sermon, he said, I made the terrible mistake of thinking that my pride would die before I did. I thought, wow, wow. Have you ever made that mistake? But those people that that really have nothing to prove, they are the freest to follow after Jesus. What what can we prove to Jesus? The Pharisees were trying to impress God. Now, how hard is that going to be to impress God who said, let there be? And there is. It's going to be very difficult to impress God. And we can't impress God. You know. And we can't really... I mean, I guess we can, we can deceive people for a long time. But we can't impress God. We can't do that. And so, if we have nothing to prove, what can we prove to God? We, we can prove that we're... We can't prove anything to God. We can prove to ourselves that we're deeply stained with sin... We can prove to ourselves that we've made some progress, maybe. you know, But we can't prove anything or impress anything upon God. He's, he knows all this, and he's watching us constantly to see how we'll respond as we read his word, as we take it, like James says, as a mirror to our lives. We look at it and say, man, I'm not there yet. God, help me. So that takes us to where? Where does that take us? It takes us to prayer, doesn't it? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, it takes us to prayer when we see that I, I'm not there yet, God, I'm not there. And so we're praying, or we're praying, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. where's that gotta start? It's gotta start in us. We're the ones praying it. So if we're really praying it, we're also realizing I need your kingdom, your rule to have dominion in me, God, all the way. Righteousness, peace and joy, motivations changed, Father. Appetites and desires, you know, corrected and Reformed. I need all of this in my own life, and then it goes out from there. But it, but it starts in prayer. And So as we see these these things that we need, in fact, I guess i ought to move on because I'm supposed to quit here in a minute. <clears throat> so what I did is I tried to break this down. This is just for convenience' sake, really. And when you look at this on your own, or anytime you ever teach this, you can use you'll use different headings as everybody does. But this is just to try to get a handle on it. Jesus gives us uh, because Really, when you get to the end of chapter 6, near the end of chapter 6, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so we find, really, our life's calling to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Well, what's the What's the Westminster Catechism say in the, the first question answer? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those two things are bound together. Yeah. You know? They're bound together. I think John Piper, he he kind of paraphrases that. He thinks they should have written down there something like, uh, if I'm enjoying God, I will be glorifying him. And so this is the chief end. Our, Our purpose is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and allow him to add everything else to life. And so Jesus gives us some spiritual, some religious exercises that will help us to learn to do that. And, and I've written down four of them. There's, usually people say there's three, but I've, I think there's a fourth one. Anyway, we, we give what he's just said. We give alms. We give help. We give time. We give our energies to people that are in need, whatever opportunity opens up for us. That's one of the ways that we learn how to be givers, is by doing those things. And that's and always the, not always, but lots of times there's the thrill of realizing you're doing the work of Jesus while you're doing that. Other times it's like, I'm just doing this. I really don't want to do it today, but I know that I need to do it, so I'm going to do it. You know? But other times it's like, wow, laboring along with Jesus, giving. And so this is the first thing that Jesus says, become a giver. Begin practicing giving. Get, get delivered from trying to rule and reign in your own life and provide your own, uh, for your own self-interest. Then there's praying, which is really maybe the biggest one. And he gives us this: the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Forgiving and showing mercy, which he gives commentary on that, to learn to be merciful. We know we've got to be merciful, don't we? We've got to forgive people that have offended us. We can't keep following Jesus. Jesus is going to go on. And if we refuse to forgive, we're stuck. We're not going to be following Jesus any longer whenever we refuse to forgive. And so he says, listen, you have to practice forgiveness just as you were forgiven. You remember and do this. And so he speaks a lot about that. Matthew 18 is probably the most famous passage and then fasting which is really humiliating humbling ourselves and he doesn't, and this is kind of interesting in, in all these things he says when you do these things so it's not like you know if you decide to give if you decide to pray if you decide to forgive if you decide to fast now when he says when you do these things do them as unto the father he's watching he knows yeah. So <clears throat> next time you fast, you know, you don't come in with a gunny sack on and ashes down your face. And, you know, Whoa, you know. But you put on your best. Okay? So God, you know. It, but, but really, again, those things are not primarily what Jesus is speaking about. About outward appearances, about inward motivation. And so he gives us these means of worship because worship transforms us. As we look to whoever we look to Whatever we look to, we begin to be conformed to that image. So if we're looking to God, and Jesus gives us these tools, these practices to utilize, they point us towards God, they point us towards the kingdom of God, they point us towards His purposes, it begins to shape us. Prayer will shape us because we're in the presence of God, humbling ourselves. Fasting will shape us because we submit ourselves, we humiliate ourselves, and take away from our body so that our mind and our heart can be more attentive to God. You know, when we give of ourselves... We're learning to be more and more like Jesus. We're imitating Him. So Paul says this. He imitated. There's an astounding statement he makes to the elders of the church in Ephesus in in Acts chapter 20. He says, I don't consider my own life as precious or of value to me, but only that I might finish the ministry that's been entrusted to me to bear witness to the gospel of grace. His own life is not valuable to him. He says, it's no longer I that live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life that I live, I live in the... In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If He says, whether I live or whether I die, may God be glorified in me. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So Paul is saying, I'm imitating Christ, imitate me. So whether, whether we ever say that to anybody or not, if we're living after Christ Jesus, they ought to find something in our lives to imitate. If we're the goat, then they're going to want to be the goat, right? If we're the servant, they're going to learn that that's that's something I want to be. And so we're called to imitate Christ. Paul gives us an example and a lot of teaching on that. Then there's the motivation for worship, which I've already gone over pretty much. But our default position is always to, to go for ourselves, to come Uh, after things or after situations relationships that promote us you know uh, you know whenever I get ready to preach or teach I always have to consciously you know say God whatever good whatever glory comes out of this please take it you know and when I finish and somebody says oh that was great I have to say God that you know really what have I got that I didn't receive what kind of you know what do you and I have that we didn't receive life breath Beautiful hair. Everything that we are, everything that we have is a gift, isn't it? And God wants us to remember that. And when we give it back to Him, whatever that gift is, God doesn't differentiate It's It's the motivation behind the giving. I want to be interesting when we get to to heaven, we get in the presence of God, and and people are being honored and rewarded. And, And Jesus said there's rewards. And people are being honored and rewarded. And uh, Billy Graham is like, he's like 150th in the list. And we're going, who's ahead of Billy Graham? You know? And here comes Gertrude Smith. Nobody ever heard of Gertrude. But she raised her children and catechized them in the love of God, and she prayed for them, and she tended to her husband's knees, and was a great servant in the house. And here's Gertrude, ahead of Billy Graham, by 149 slots. Won't that be amazing? I'll have to have a real tall ladder, you know, and some binoculars to see the front of the line. <laughs> but you know, there's going to be a lot of people receiving tremendous acclaim from the throne of God that nobody ever knew. Nobody, they didn't get a biography written. They didn't write a book. And here, we, here I tried so hard to, you know what I mean? <laughs> but see, there's, a, there's this motivation thing that God is after. He's after our hearts. He's after us realizing, what do you have that you didn't receive? And so whatever gift we've got, it's a gift. And we just exercise that. And God will be glorified out of that if we're using that out of the right motive. In fact, God will even be glorified if we don't use it for the right motivation. You know, Jude- Judas did everything that the other eleven did: heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the love, or cast out demons. God was glorified in what Judas did. But Judas did it for the wrong reason. Many of those on that day will say, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do mighty works in your name and heal the sick people and deliver the demoniacs? God, didn't we? Do? I never did know you. Why? Because their motivation was totally outside the bounds of glorifying the Father. It was always about them. It was always about looking good. It's always about having power and reputation. It was always about you know being first in line. And God says, no, that's not what I was looking for, and I never knew you. Now, that's some heavy wording there, isn't it? That kind of bothers me. Does that, does that kind of stuff bother you reading that? So we have this common thread that we're doing with what God's gifted us to glorify Him and join Him, and we just do as we've been made capable to do. We, we don't do what we can't do. We don't, uh, this, was a, this was a problem with the disciples as they were walking with Jesus. They were always trying to one-up one another, weren't they? I mean, it's just, the, it's the dynamic nature. They were always trying, I'm the best. You know, they were arguing like that on numerous occasions. We'll look at Peter's life here for a second, a minute, but anyway, God is the accountant. So when we do something with our left hand, we don't let our right hand know what we're doing or vice versa. That just means we're letting God keep the accounts. We're not, we're not going to brag about it. We're not even going to really think about it that much. We're going to release that to God. And he will keep account. So you have this example of Jesus telling this parable. Uh, that's really not even, not even a parable, but he's telling about the last judgment in Matthew chapter 25. Remember that? It starts in verse 31, goes to the end, and he talks to this group of people, and uh, some of them are sheep and some of them are goats. Oh, there's that word goat again. <clears throat> so some of them sheep and some goats, and, and the, the goats, he addresses them and said, hey, how come when I was thirsty you never gave me anything to drink? When I was naked, you didn't give me some clothes. when I was sick and in the hospital, you didn't come visit me. And when I was in jail, you didn't console me. What's the deal? I said, when did we ever not do that for you? When you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. They were astounded. But what's really amazing is the people that did it to the least were astounded that they'd done it. When did we ever do that for you? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. But what they've done is they've let that account to Jesus. We're not the accountant. God's the accountant. And he's keeping track. He's keeping records. And there will be a, a recompense. There will be a reward for that when we see him face to face. And it'll be something like this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you to rule over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's, that's the ambition that should really be the guiding light in our in our lives. And so we have to take this time to be givers, to be prayers, to be fasters, to be forgivers, because these things keep us focused on that goal, to hear those words. Man. Can you imagine God looking at you in the eye? Say, Man, you did a good job. I'm so proud of you. Well he's already said that in Jesus had it. He? He's already said that in Jesus for us. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Well What's that got to do with us? Because by faith, we're in Christ Jesus. So he's well-pleased with us, but he wants us to learn to be like Jesus. We're already accounted righteous, but now this is getting worked out in our lives, and so we have to be careful about our motivations. We have to be open before God. We have to be more and more mindful of God so that we can be more and more yielded to God because our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So Peter's a good example of this. And... uh, he says in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, "They were to do what's right," depends on which version you have, but it's all the same, the same gist, to do what's right and trust your soul to a faithful creator. So that's kind of our job description. Do what's right, which would include motivations, and then entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Don't worry about it. God's got it covered. But Peter, before he learned this lesson and wrote it down before he died, he he failed severely at that, didn't he? He had a severe failure when he denied Jesus and then decided that I can't hack this. I cannot get this right. And so he's going to bail on Jesus and he goes off to fish and Jesus comes and serves him breakfast on the beach and restores him and still he's prone to desire what other people have or to be like other people. What about John, Lord? What about him? If I'm going to get crucified, what about John? Is everybody going to go through the same deal? And Jesus says something that's very important for me and you as we're seeking the goal of hearing those good words from the Father who's watched us in secret and rewards us openly. And Jesus said, ah, Peter. He says, what's that to you? Well, it really is nothing, is it? It's nothing. It doesn't matter what happens with John, Peter. This is between me and you. And so Jesus wants to deliver us from trying to impress people or being like other people to compete with other people. The kingdom of God is not about competition. It's not about our gift being recognized above others or people thinking that we're better than that person. It's all about responding to Jesus. It's all about staying close to Him. It's about doing what's right and entrusting our soul to a faithful creator. And then we gain assurance. When I see Him, I'll be like Him, and the Father will speak over me. This is my beloved child, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, with them I'm well pleased. Enter into the joy of your master. You did a great job. You were faithful and little. Come and rule over much. Boy, that's going to be good, isn't it? So will we be people that respond to Jesus this way? You know, allowing him to sort through our lives by the working of his word and his Holy Spirit? Will we give up everything for the sake, the purpose of knowing Jesus? Or will we get distracted by all the stuff? And What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drive? Where are we going to live? Where are we going to go? Those things have to happen because we live in the world, but they're not to be the things that dictate our behavior. That's got to be something deeper or life-giving. It's got to be Christ Jesus in us and the Father's eye upon us. Let's pray together. Father, again, we, uh, we bless you for your word, God. How often it's reproved us, encouraged us, instructed us, God, we're amazed that it's, just as you said, living and active, that it never loses power, it never loses sharpness or insightfulness. It always is working to accomplish your purposes in the earth, and you're watching over it, that it will do that. So, God, we thank you as we hear your word, as we receive your word, as we read your word, God, that we can be confident that you're watching over it to perform it. God, you've called us, you choose us, Lord, let us respond to you in in faith, the confidence that you are good, God, you are patient, and you are changing us. You're doing a great work. Let our vision be clarified by the revelation you've given us. Help us, Lord, to to pursue you, to put down the works of the flesh, to put on Christ Jesus. So again, God, we thank you for your, your time with us. We thank you for our time given to you, and we pray that you'd bless us. God, that we would be a blessing where we go. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.